Manufacturer podcast today, a penny as well as a pound for the thoughts of John Mills as UK currency wasn't looking too sterling last month. Panic ensued, but if it happens again, it might not be as bad a thing as you'd think for UK manufacturers. And from across the pond, the thoughts of a leader who spoke at IFS Unleashed 2022, which involved palm trees, beaches, booze and pool parties, which left us thinking, Miami, nice. That's all to come in today's episode. Hi, listener. It's been a while and you're listening to episode five of our leadership series. Editor Joe and reporter Lana are back. Hi, friends. Hello. Hello, Tom. Back from your travels. Back indeed, back from my back from my travels to a, to an incredibly sunny UK in October, actually, which which is which is pleasant. Lana hates it, but I'm I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> long may it last, long may it last. And I'll tell you, you've done it all this year, mate, haven't you? You've done it all. Run corner Yeovil or now Miami. <laughs> it's been fun. And look, I'll tell you all about it in a minute, but not yet, because we've got an interview from John Mills. This is the same John Mills from the John Mills Institute for Prosperity. I had the pleasure of, of meeting him at a panel discussion earlier in the year, which you re- might remember at, at SoTech Automation, and I felt an utter fraud to be joining him as a member of that panel for said discussion session. And Joe's had a bit of a chat with him, and you'll be writing about this interview in the November edition of The Manufacturer, won't you, Joe? It's about the Plummeting pound, well, the record low worth of a British pound hit last month and what that means for, for manufacturing. Interesting chap, John Mills, isn't he, Joe? Really interesting chat, really interesting article as well. Um, this, all, this all was prompted from, as you, as you say, uh, Tom, the the uh, plummeting pound that we all experienced in in September, which has which led to um, uh, you know, rising interest rates. But you know, contrary to, to popular opinion, and, and certainly I, I, like many, you know, assumed perhaps that a strong pound equals a strong economy. Well, um, John is sort of um, from the other side of the fence where that's concerned, and he, he cites a kind of a, a national obs- obsession with with policies that have led to an overvalued pound mm. in this country, and he, he's sort of said that 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 has consequently led to a led to driving down manufacturing product productivity rather than increasing it and it's created an unproductive and and low growth economy and he he said that the the a falling pound would mean that mean it would become more competitive in the global market and actually increase uh, profitability of our of our domestic manufacturing sector so really interesting chat you probably point out that the pound has seen a resurgence since the appointment of old Dishy Rishi, Rishi Sunak, or uh, Sushi Munak, as my mum once accidentally called him in a text, which is which is which is just good old autocorrect. Incredible as, stuff. As a side note to that, um, there's a, there's a one member of uh, I think Rishi's gang called um, Suella Braveman, who my missus keeps calling Suella Benjamin, who <laughs> will mean, mean nothing to you, Tom, or you, Lana, but when I was a little boy, Suella Benjamin was a presenter of Play School. <laughs> nice. Anyway, let's hear uh, that John Mills interview, shall we? Here he is. First of all, obviously, you mentioned in, in that comment the UK's obsession, particularly the 
the politicians obsession with with a strong pound and it, and it's certainly something that I've always been aware of you know you know strong pound equals good weak pound equals equals bad so why has this sort of perception traditionally been the, been the case within the UK well I think it's been the case for a long time maybe for a couple of hundred years since we started we had the gold standard we were an international currency and there was just a general perception that the stronger the pound was the better off the economy would be. Whereas actually, when you analyse it, that turns out not to be the case at all, because the higher pound makes us less competitive, means that you have less growth of exports, means you have less investment, so you have lower growth, and you finish up with lower living standards and lower productivity gains. So the perception that uh, we've got, which I think was reinforced by the inflationary problems we had in the 1970s, is really the reverse of the truth. And this is the reason why, despite all the effort that's been made to get productivity up, we've slipped down the international rankings. I think there are something like 30 countries with higher living standards we have, whereas you know, 150 years ago, we were the preeminent country in the whole world. Is this sort of perception much the, the, the same across the Western world? I think it is. I think what happened is right across the Western world, there was inflation in the 1970s, and the reaction was to try and take action with aiming for inflation of only 2% right across the uh, Western world, which wasn't really replicated in the East at all. They got the exchange rate down, whereas we, the policies that we took to stabilise the economy got it up. And the imbalance that we've seen ever since then has meant that the economies in the East have grown dramatically much faster than the ones in the West. And uh, our growth rate has just fallen and fallen. And we're not very capital. We're going to have no growth at all for the next, I don't know, five or ten years. With a particular sort of microscope on, on, on manufacturing, what has been the consequences of of that, that that overvalued pound on the manufacturing sector, particularly with the view of the challenging last few years that the, the sector's gone through? Well, I think it's been disastrous. What's happening is manufacturing as a percentage of GDP has gone down from about 30% in 1970 to less than 10% now. You've lost share of world trade. Uh, but I think the longer term for this is the manufacturing hasn't been very profitable compared to other ways of earning a living for a long period of time. So it's been difficult. It's about recruitment, the calibre of management, the calibre of salespeople, the calibre of the sort of after care for sales that uh, is so important in a highly competitive market like the, the one for manufactured goods. And we've suffered as a result all the way through. So it's, it, it's, it's a sort of cultural problem as well as being a, just a straight competitive and economic problem. Indeed, indeed. So, with with this recent um, events, what what could the potential impact of a, of a lower valued pound have on on UK manufacturing? Well, all the evidence is that the lower the pound, the more competitive, relatively speaking, exports become, uh, and the better the balance of payments therefore is. I mean, I think the strengthening of the pound we've seen recently is likely to be reflected in the balance of payments not getting better very very much at all. If, it had, if the pound had gone down, it would have, I think, made a lot of competitive difference. But generally speaking, I think the lower the pound is, the more competitive exports are, the faster the economy will grow. So what we've got is a policy choice of where we try and get the, the pound to uh, settle down. I think what we ought to do is to have, if you ask, what, what should our economic targets be at the moment there to try and keep inflation at 2%, I think a better target would be to try and get the bank to maintain an exchange rate, which produced enough investment to get our growth rate up to 25 or 3% per annum. 
but that's a very long way away from where the present government is, or indeed the Labour opposition. I mean, right across the piece, uh, that's not where people are. Looking at the landscape, what what, what can UK businesses, UK manufacturers do to take advantage of, this, of the, these recent events? And, and furthermore, what needs to happen at government level for it to become a reality? Well, I mean, the really crucial thing we need to do is to get the rate of physics investment up. I mean, at the moment, the total amount of investment, including R&D and everything else, is about 17% of GDP in the UK. The world average is about 25%, and in places like China, it's over 40%. Now, it's it's the physical investment that really makes the difference. But within physical investment, there are particular types of investment, particularly on mechanisation and on uh, power uh, and on mechanization power and technology which are have, have which produce very high rates of return these are the ones that really drove the industrial revolution and these are ones which are particularly sensitive because they're part of manufacturing generally speaking and the weaker manufacturing is the less benefit you get from this sort of investment the slower the growth rate so the big problem is to get the rate of investment up but to do this by driving manufacturing because that's where the investment takes place. Obviously, a trend that we're seeing quite a bit within UK manufacturing at the moment is obviously reshoring. You know, a lot of a lot yeah. of manufacturing that has been the what that was taken to places like China are now being brought um, either onshore or certainly closer to shore. I mean, what what were the what what is the potential impact of of trends like that of the recent uh, pound devaluation? Oh, I think that helps. I mean, I mean, I, I don't think devaluation on itself. By itself is, is a cure all for everything. It's a step in the right direction, but it needs to be complemented in lots of other ways by better education and training, by more expenditure infrastructure, by longer patient capital, all these things that are well-established parts of the supply side agenda. And uh, the fact that there is now quite a lot of pressure for reshoring to try and shorten supply chains and this sort of thing, all is a plus. The problem is whether it's going to be enough on its own to tip the balance, and I'm not at all sure it will be. Further to that, are we, are we seeing a general shift in kind of economic, and particularly within manufacturing, to, to, to the kind of the Eastern economies and the emerging economies away from the West? I mean, I think there's some tendency to all this. Uh, but I, mean, I think one of the problems, going back to what we were saying earlier on about manufacturing in this country, is that there's much stronger manufacturing lobbies in lots of other countries than there are here. But if you look back at the history of countries like Germany, I mean, Germany always had a very competitive exchange rate and the Bundesbank and the big export companies in Germany always insisted on that remaining competitive. And that was the basis on which the euro was set up. Whereas we've never had the sort of drive from industry to make sure that we've got a competitive pound. So industry's always rather been prepared to accept the sort of services view of the world. I mean, what, one of the things about the UK economy is that actually we've got a very strong service sector, mm. which has a, something like a 5% of GDP export surplus, and we're good at services. We've got all sorts of natural advantages in our, in our language, in our geography, our legal system, our universities, our training, and so on, uh, but which manufacturing doesn't have. Because services are so dominant, uh, these are what tends to set the kind of economic climate. And services can live quite happily with dollar fifty or something to the pound, uh, which unfortunately is just completely lethal for manufacturing. 
The problem is it's, it's much more difficult to get productivity up in services than it is in manufacturing. And it's much more difficult to sell services abroad than it is manufacturing. So if you rely on services, you finish up with a big balance of payments deficit, and then this all leads to inflation like we've got and a weak economy. Our thanks to John there. It is a, a very interesting interview, which you can hear, as we say, in full. Uh, Joe's interview with him in our November magazine edition. Good. Next up, it's Christian Peterson. It is Peterson. I, it, it, it's spelt Pedersen. So I, I assumed it was it was pronounced Pedersen, a bit like Morton Gamst. Remember him? Morton I do. Gamst Pedersen. What, what a left foot. What a left foot. What a left peg. What a left peg. Uh, this guy isn't Morton Gamps Pedersen. He's far more interesting. He's the, uh, the chief product officer uh, at our partners over at IFS during IFS Unleashed 2022, which returned after a three-year hiatus. I wonder why. Uh, he spoke on the first day of the conference around the capabilities of IFS Cloud, and he very kindly spoke to me as well on the exhibition floor. Let's hear him. I just wanted to touch on kind of some of the challenges that we're hearing UK manufacturers reporting. And I wanted to see if this is a similar sort of thing around the rest of the, the world, as far as IFS are concerned. Sustainability, obviously hugely important to manufacturing at the moment. What do you think are some of the issues and some of the challenges around implementing sound strategy within this space? I do think there's, there's for me personally, there's, there's we see two different things. We see the, the ones that are focusing on it in the aspects of saying, oh, I got a report on it because there's now legislation on it. That's one aspect of it, and that's obviously important because um, you have to do it, otherwise you get fined and all kinds of other things. But then there's the other aspect of it where you say, okay, what are we truly doing to reduce our offset? Because there's an, a cost implication from it. Now, the interesting thing with business applications, ERP, manufacturing systems and all that stuff, indirectly, they have always been focused on being as efficient as possible, right? So in some sense, there have been some attention to also CO2 in an indirect way, right? But now it becomes much more direct where you start looking at remanufacturing and, and the whole life cycle of a, of a, of a thing or an asset. Um, and uh, that that is a, a very important piece. Uh, again, we have we're showcasing new solutions for these things here at the show. Uh, have sessions, have have offerings in it. So we it's an area we expect a lot of investments being put into, frankly, over over the years. But but the interesting thing is, I, I think it has environmental benefits, but it's also the right thing to do for cost. Another aspect that we are seeing for manufacturers, especially when it comes to one of the other topics you mentioned, on, um, and again, it has to do with environment as well, but there's a lot of focus on digitization and, and servitization, where maybe you today you produce products and you sell them, maybe in the future you produce products and you sell them on a subscription. Now, and it's interesting what we're seeing there in companies that make that transition, they actually start making much better products with longer lifetime and so forth, because now they need to maintain them. They still need to sell them on a subscription. So that has a positive impact on the environment as well, that they actually have more sustainable uh, lasting products. 
So we'll see a lot of these things in the, in the years to come. And I'm sure one of the challenges that you've had reported to you by manufacturers, and it has been a massive problem within the last couple of years, supply chain. Yeah, I mean, the actual supply chain in, in terms of getting the stuff you need, that's tough. You know, that's a hard one to solve with software. But um, I think that there are maybe some planning algorithms and things that, that companies need to, to think about how they can change that. Um, and how can we start applying more intelligent planning, uh, planning engines that are AI-based and machine learning that can start consider things that haven't specifically been considered. They can, they can consider maybe where there are supply chain challenges. It could be geo-related, it could be you know, transport mode related. Uh, so there may be some new factors that we need to put into these, um, these supply chain planning engines. Um, uh, so I don't have an answer to it, to be honest. I wish I had because then I could solve a lot of things for, for, the, for the world's population. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I, you know, very, very kind of like lastly kind of touch on that, that issue of, of skills and I guess digital talent because we're talking about digitalization being you know, a huge driver to so many things, sustainability being one of them. Um, are you kind of concerned about the lack of digital talent or being able to attract um, the right people, the people with the knowledge to come in and kind of implement these sorts of projects? Where do you see that going in the next sort of five or ten years? I think that there are two levels of that. There's a leadership skills. Like if you have companies that are manufacturers or so forth that now need to recruit this type of talent, I'm not sure the leadership actually knows what they're looking for. Right, so that's the first thing to really get on top of what do we, act what do we actually need I think that's very important and, and then I would say the key talent to get hold of is actually people that really understands data, where to find data, correlate data, bring data together, call them data scientists if you will. Um, I would hate to think that every company needs to have a title of somebody called data scientist. It's probably important today. I think it'll be a little more relaxed as we go forward. Um, but, I, but I think really what, what companies need are people that can bring together data from all kinds of different sources, their internal sources, external sources from the web, structured, unstructured, IoT data that is streaming from their PLCs, all kinds of data because it's all that data that helps you generate the intelligence and the automation you actually need. Without the data, you're not going to get very far. And once again, you'll be able to read a full feature on what was a fantastic conference, I can tell you, in Miami. You won't be able to read it this year, though, because we've got two packed editions to put out uh, until the end of 2022. We just couldn't find room for it. But it will be worth the wait. And like I say, a, a full roundup there. And guys, I've got to say, as I said at the top, Miami nice. It, it, it's really, really Really nice. I would recommend a, what, a trip out there. What was your favorite thing? Ooh. Um, I, on the first morning, I went for like a little jog, which was horrible because it was like, <laughs> it was like 27 degrees at like seven oh. in the morning. Um, wow. But then I had a little swim in the sea 
Uh, just a little nice. one though, because I suddenly remembered. Oh, yeah, there's, there's sharks in, in this. Oh my gosh, sea. yeah. But but uh, as I was I was told during the um, during my time there that you're you're more likely to um, die from so there's more deaths in Miami from vending machines. So like people getting frustrated that they can't make the right selection on vending machines, pushing it so much that it tips over and kills them. Wow. Uh, lightning strikes um, and coconuts hitting people on the head. So. Um, Interesting. Just, just a. I yeah. mean, the vending machine thing. Is this a particular problem in Miami? Is this, is this a specific issue in Miami that they've got particularly aggressive vending machines? Well, you know what? It's a bigger issue than sharks eating you, mate. Oh, okay. So Fair that, Fair that's that, that's that's all you need to know on that. Uh, yeah. No. Like, really interesting event. Obviously, IFS involved in in so many different markets. Um, and we actually have a, an IFS speaker at our manufacturing leaders summit this year. Andy Burton, um, so it's going to be a hell of a lot colder um, for him in Liverpool than it than it was in Miami. Um, but yeah, key takeaways: um, it's hot all the time, so so it's a nice place to go, you know, in sort of the middle of British winter. Um, I went into a bar uh, just before catching my flight home to catch the um, Man United Ammonia Nicosia game, um, which was three p.m. Miami time. Had a bit of food, had a couple of beers just before my flight. It was lovely. Um, but then the lady comes over to take the bill and um, I just booked my Uber. So I'm kind of rushing to pay. Um, and, I, and I don't tip because, because in my mind, I'm in a pub. And if I, if I were to do that in Britain, I'm not going to tip for a couple of beers and, and, and a burger. You know, I will tip in like a nice restaurant, but I just, I'm not, I'm not going to do it just out of, you know, just out of habit. I bet you were popular. It was the most awkward moment of my life. <laughs> it was so weird. She was like looking at me like, what, no tip? And I was like, oh, sorry. I mean, it was lovely, but um, no. And she just like stormed off <laughs> pretty much. It was so, so awkward. So yeah, you do need to tip. Rude um, of you. And all, all the Uber drivers are, are Spanish as well. There's more Spanish speakers in Miami than um, than English speakers. Mm. So, so that was awkward. That's interesting. <laughs> big, uh, there's a big Latin community in Miami, isn't there? We're oh, going to start it's... calling you uh, Tom Crockett St. John. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I get that reference. Tom what? Crockett. Don Johnson's character in Miami, in Miami Vice. Oh, mate, I don't watch Miami Vice. I, 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 I'm showing my age again. I'm You're too my old. Age again to you two. Old, old, old man. Right, uh, before we wrap up, um, we've obviously spoken quite a bit about the uh, November issue. Uh, we've got an October issue, which has just come out, um, and we featured both Unix Traffic and Parvalux which were the other two manufacturers in our, in our little pool tour, Lana. Um, I just want to, just before we, we end, I think we've we got to give a, a mention to um, Doug Shepard, the, um, what is he? Is he the CEO at Parvalux or is he uh, the MD Managing at director, yeah. Managing director, um, who is going to be joining us at our um, SME Growth Summit this year so he's coming to digital manufacturing week and he's just a good bloke and he's just a good leader and i know lana you've done a piece on parvalux for this edition um, I did. and 
I just enjoy him. I just like his energy. And, and yeah. he's doing some great things there. They've got incredibly supportive owners at Parvalox, mm. which has you know, allowed them to heavily invest yeah. in this massive factory, which isn't finished yet. But when it is finished, it's going to be pretty damn spectacular. Yeah, we're going to have to go back and see what it looks like as the finished product because we got the chance to walk around the I suppose it was a construction site really um in our hard hats and the one that kept falling off my head because it's far too big for me um yeah. but yeah it'd be really cool to go back there and see uh but yeah I think that this article is in the November issue oh, not October sake. oh I don't know I don't know <laughs> but, there's, so, so many, there's so many issues at the moment <laughs> But um, <laughs> Lush, is, Lush is October. Yeah. Parvalux in, in Unix are coming in November. Yeah. But very soon, you know, we're not far away, so get excited. But um, it went to yeah. the printers last night. What, the November issue? It did indeed. Okay, yeah, so so it's it, it it's on the way. It's on the way. Um and I took four trains down to uh visit the, the factory where I met you, Tom. Um, and yeah, we, I have to admit that I went into the site thinking that it was possibly going to be a little bit boring, mm. if I can say that. Yeah, like I yeah, didn't yeah. really, I didn't expect much and probably because we were also going to see Lush. So, you know, I, I, I misjudged. Um, but yeah, we learned all about like how essential the DC motors are to so many different applications. Um, Golf buggies, much to Joe's excitement, mm. uh, medical air pumps, ventilators, and even honey extractors. Mm. Um, so even though you might think of the motors as, I don't know, not being that interesting, it actually was. Um, and especially when you think about all the end applications. Um, and yeah, because there's just such a such a wide variety of products that they go into so yeah chances are if you're if it moves then there is a motor somewhere in there um but yeah it was it was a really good visit um and also in this issue uh the november one not the october one um <laughs> i spoke with natalie watson who is group head of sustainability at the vita group yeah um so they make flexible foam things is it is it, is it vita or vita it might be vita i don't know it might be vita i went what as did part i say of the, you said vita it's all right sorry guys. i went as part of the sustainable manufacturing uh judging um uh, group and they are really cool yeah like seeing how foam is made i th i th wondered if it magic. was you i d yeah, yeah, yeah i thought Someone went and I couldn't remember who it was, um, yeah, but are, they are obviously going to be in the awards. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. I'm really rooting for them to win the sustainability one. I'm, I'm not sure if I should have any favorites, but no, you yeah. definitely shouldn't, but, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, she's going to be speaking at the manufacturing leader summit um, all about delivering valuable environmental impact data um, and she'll be sharing a case study on the company's emissions data journey and all the challenges that they faced. Um, and yeah, it's going to be really interesting. So you should definitely make sure you're going to be there if you haven't already got a ticket. Good stuff. 
Um, uh, we do also need to mention, obviously, Unix were part of that um, pool tour, and they were fantastic, doing some incredible stuff around uh, clean air zones um, in London and coming to other cities as well. Um, fantastic in traffic management, which is this massive full kind of whole comp complicated thing um we haven't given them as much airtime in this episode because we wanted to highlight the leaders that we've spoken to as part of this leadership episode good well that's pretty much all we have time for folks thanks for another fun episode all in our final episode of our leadership series we're going to be looking ahead to the flagship conference for uk manufacturing c-suiters that is of course the Manufacturing Leaders Summit, not in Miami, but in Liverpool. We'll be looking at what some of the speakers have said ahead of this event. But that's all for now. Thanks for listening, listener, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.